We acknowledge that together we reside, learn, and create on the land of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabewaki, Mississauga, Wendaki, Neonwensio, and neutral people. We seek re-indigenization. We stand with the indigenous community and welcome indigenous voices on this platform. We are grateful to be working and learning on and about this land. And we honor these communities as the traditional stewards of these lands. Hi, my name is Simi, my pronouns are they them. And my name is Casamorum, and my pronouns are she, her. And we are the Dreaming Divas. We are a podcast inspired by the Screaming Divas. And our goal is to create a similar platform, but from the perspective of young singers. And today we're going to start a new mini series. Hopefully once a month we will put out this episode, um, this type of episode. And we're calling it the Opera House of Fame. <laughs> And basically what we're going to do is we're going to look through history and find singers that really have inspired um, us and also changed the world of opera. And we're just going to talk about their lives, learn more from them, um, their vocal techniques, their thoughts on the world and life. And we're just going to do some more research and learn from them. So we hope that you come alongside with us and do some research of your own and uh, learn with us, and we're so excited. And this was your idea. Yes. Yay. I'm so glad that you brought this idea to the table and we decided to make a full episode series out of it because <laughs> this is kind of between the two of us more your area of expertise like you actually analyze old singers and I haven't put as much work into that and so I'm glad that you're kind of getting me out of my comfort zone and getting me to analyze it a little bit more. I thought it would be a good idea because I think it's really important to you know analyze the lives and the techniques of some of these old singers that we hold so high, you know, in the recordings that are so phenomenal and just learn a little bit more about these people and um, what they believe in vocally as well. And I also just wanted to say, you know, another reason why I think this is so important for us to talk about is that as young singers, it's really hard to get started doing something like this and you know there are some teachers that are like yeah you should be you should know about these old singers and then we're like we read some of the wikipedia and then that's it right hopefully through this episode and this series viewers at home can can do some research and find out more facts about these singers alongside us and that will be fun to figure out you know what made these singers who they are. Let's dive in to Beverly Sills.
or Bell Bell Miriam Silverman. Yes. Was her given name. Very Jewish. She came yeah. she came from uh Jewish immigrants from Romania and Russia. Yeah, and I never I'm, knew that. I didn't either, but I'm like, hey now. Yeah. I mean, I'm not Romanian or Russian, but I'm Polish Jewish kind of jam. So that was I'm cool. Romanian, so I was I was surprised to find out. Um, one thing that I found really cool was that growing up, she knew Yiddish, Russian, Romanian, French, and English. So I can barely speak English. <laughs> All these languages, seriously, isn't that crazy? And Yiddish is like a dead language. Like it's so hard to find people that speak Yiddish outside of like synagogues. Yeah. So that's really cool. I mean, Yiddish is something I want to learn one day after I learned the core four, but her career started young, the prime age of three years old. <laughs> but she was doing like a baby pageant or something? A baby pageant. But she also sang a song at this baby pa pageant. And of course she won. <laughs> she, wrote, <laughs> she won Miss Beautiful Baby. What a title to have. Oh my gosh, imagine being three years old and like, everyone's like, we already know what you're going to be, singer. You sang a song when you were three years old, now you're going to sing forever. But the coolest thing is that she took lessons with Estelle Liebling at started at seven years old and never had another teacher in her entire life. That's shocking and scary to me. I mean, like in my research, I found out that her love of opera came from her mom playing old records. Yeah. And by the, because it was kind of on repeat and stuff like that, by the age of six, before she'd even started voice lessons, she knew 22 arias. Say what? She ended up adopting her stage name kind of around that time as well. Um, instead of Belle or her friend's family, we call her Bubbles. That was her nickname. Yeah, thank so you. To Beverly Sills. I think it was around the time she was 10. She did her like first major audition. And then her stage debut. Yes. Was at 16. She was doing a Gilbert and Sullivan North American touring company. That's... At 16, she was like sure. a time artist. <laughs> that is insane. So she really had a long singing career. They say probably like 50 years. And she retired young too. Yeah, yeah. Like she could have, we'll she probably had another decade on her easy. I know. We'll talk about that, her decision to do that. Let's talk about some roles she did. Some. Do you know how many roles? I don't know the number. Okay, you, you count while I say them. Norina, Marie, Adina, Lucia, ooh, that's so good. Um, Lucrezia, Maria Stuarda. Sonia, Hannah, Neda, Manon, Tai, Juana La Loca, Marguerite, Fiora. Six hours later. Donna Elvira, Donna Anna, Countess, Musetta, Mimi, Loretta, Suor Angelica, Giorgetta, Tosca. I'm out of breath! Violetta. Gilda. That's it. How many? Uh, now, I just want to say that uh, I only have 10 fingers, 
but I'm pretty sure it's like 76. Seriously, that's insane. So she, of course, did a lot in her peak singing years. I guess would probably be the 60s, I would say. But she started in the 50s. Peak was probably 60s, 70s. But she talks a lot about New York City Opera and how that was like her home. Yeah, well, it's kind of where she started too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But she never sang at the Met with that one general director, same guy that gave Maria Callas some <clears throat> a hard time. Yeah. I love Beverly because, um, I mean, coloratura, obviously. But I think that she is so interesting in that she was just a real person. Like, she didn't put on uh, much of a temperament or anything like that. But, like, how she kind of paved the way for North American singers. Because she didn't have any European training. Yeah. And that's why the she, it took so long for her to get to the Met. Because it, I think in her words, she said, the harder your name was to pronounce, the more likely you were to get the job. And they didn't want their own people singing because I guess it was um, a cooler experience to hear other singers or maybe they, they treasured European training more. Yeah, the Met specifically yeah. um, only wanted Italian singers. They expected, they believed that, you know, American audiences like just wanted to see only Italian stars and Italian divas. Um, and they didn't value American sopranos or American singers for that matter. But so she had a completely international successful career before she even made it to the Met. Like globally, yeah. she was celebrated. But I think it was only the Met. I think she did perform Chicago, San Francisco opera, but the Met had this director and I found his name. His name is Ru Sir Rudolph Bing. Bang, that was it, yes. And once he finally left, she made her debut at the Met. She didn't have kind words to say about him in an interview. No, why don't we just quote it a little bit? And she said, Oh, Mr. Bing is an ass. <laughs> well, everybody said what a great administrator he was. And a great this, Mr. Bing was just... <laughs> An improbable, impossible general manager of the Metropolitan Opera. The arrogance of that man. <laughs> I think that is... Powerful. I love her. Powerful words. Yeah. You know, and it's so frustrating because I think our generation sees so much more potential. And our generation more of people of our generation who are not interested in opera would be more interested if they would put forth the effort to make changes and well it's interesting because beverly sills noticed and knew that opera was a dying art form and her work with the uh, new york city opera oh my gosh she brought subtitles there she brought more operas in the english language in the vernacular of the american people right yeah and did summer shows because the Met is always closed in the summer. She took advantage of that 
not having them, you know, peering down <laughs> and taking all, you know, most people would go to the Met before the New York City Opera. But in the summer, she made things cheaper. She also did a yearly free show and like thousands and thousands of people would show up and and young people and, and kids and children. So, you know, she knew like that. I think the opera world got so much just from not only her as a singer, but her, her after, her life after a singer and just helped it grow, helped people notice that, you know, we need to make this more accessible. And she really strived, like that was, I think one of her whys, which is really cool. I, I, I commend it so much because not only was she an amazing vocalist, but she was a businesswoman. Yes. And used that to her advantage when she took over the New York City Opera. And uh, yep, exactly. and I, uh, she said this many times in interviews. She said uh, they were on the verge of bankruptcy when she got there, when she arrived. And she left it in extremely good financial, financial um, state. She left it in really good artistic state. Yeah. This woman is smart. Yeah. And and Sorry, you go, you go. No, no, I was just going to say, sadly, so she, she had passed away. And then I think probably six, seven years later, New York City Opera had filed for bankruptcy. When you look at uh, Italy, they have plenty of opera houses, like even small ones that are doing just fine. But in North America, it's really just the big ones. And then the small ones are ignored unless you are an avid opera lover. And that's not going to be accessible to the younger generations. Yeah, exactly. Like what interest would they have in it if, like we were saying, nothing is going to change? People want to see themselves represented on stage. Yeah. It's not all about escapism anymore. They want to see... um, a real reason for these performances to be happening. Yep. I would like to go back to um, the La Scala and the Met debut. Yes. So La Scala was first. Yes. And she was a replacement for Renata Scotto. Yep. And she told this wonderful story because Renata was petite. Yes. And um, the costume that Beverly was to wear, they used the same costume because, right? Um, There was no way. So she had talked to them several times. She said, listen, this costume doesn't fit me. So we're going to have to fix it. And they weren't listening to her. So eventually she took scissors to the costume herself. Yeah. Wait, I love that story. (laughs) I know. I know. This woman is a badass. I can't get over how wonderful she is. So then, if we could fast forward now to the Met debut, too, which we already know was long overdue. Yep. She she said, because she knew that she should have been there earlier, right? Yeah. Many people knew. Um, she was not known to be a prima donna, but for her Met debut, for 24 hours, she says, she played the prima donna she made sure that everything she wanted was there the casting the conductor everything was in her power and when she got all of that the prima donna went away she was just her lovely self oh my gosh that is so funny yeah (laughs) cool 
Okay, so this is something that we touched on in an earlier episode, but so she considered herself Lyric Coloratura, yeah. but she sang some things outside of her fach. Oh yeah, Spinto. Like you were no. talking about, yeah, Spinto, like you were bringing up Strauss, she sang some dramatic Coloratura stuff, um, Roberto Devere, which was one of those performances was one of her most notable for herself because she just felt like everything fell into place. But she had also said that singing that role took four years off of her career. Yep. Yep. And I, like, that's a fear of mine, so. Yeah. But she, I don't think she would ever trade that because she loved the role and she had sung for so much of her life. Like, 50 years, basically. Yeah. Right at the end, um... She she did more than just sing. She did a lot of TV. She had she's won Emmy awards. She had a talk show, right? She had a Grammy. Pardon? She had a Grammy. Yes, yes. But for, other than singing, well, let's talk about the TV portion of her life. She still did that while having a career, right? She only she retired officially 1980. But those last ten years. She not only was a very, very powerful opera singer in the opera world, but she did other things as well. And I think that's really cool to see that, you know, opera singers don't just have to be opera singers. You know, she was able to dive into something else that she loved and have a talk show and, you know, just have chats like what we're doing, but yeah. and have that be a passion in her life as well. And I think it's also important to note that she she had children in the middle of her career. Her voice stayed golden. Yeah, which how though? <laughs> how stayed golden, and and um, you know she really did decide which performances to take and which to say no to, as her two children were special needs children. Um, she she had five kids, but two of them. Yeah. Uh, one two of them, them was were special needs, but three of them were stepchildren also. So That's she only birthed <laughs> two. <laughs> but and uh, so that's isn't that so cool to to also see that she had a family and was still so successful and was still so present in her children's lives. She used her fame to bring attention to. Um birth defects and so she she then started working with walk of dimes which originally was to help cure polio um and now we don't have polio anymore so they kind of moved on yes to um the the health of uh new mothers and children and so she started working with them and bringing a lot of um attention to that foundation uh because of her own experience which I think is so fantastic. But through the late 60s and the early 70s, um, while she was a talk show host, as well as an opera singer, she had actually um, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in this uh, 74. And she even went underwent surgery for it. And it her recovery was so quick, she literally opened at San Francisco Opera, the daughter of the regiment, a month after that. That's crazy. I hear I hear about some opera singers like getting on stage a month after birth. 
And I'm like, you just Ooh, pushed another the story. Yeah, you just pushed a human being out of your body, or you know, had to go through surgery to get it out of your body. Yeah. How do you? Uh, uh. <laughs> I know. There's some witchcraft like, in there. Okay. That is like some serious power. Okay, so one thing that I just found funny. This has nothing to do with career or anything like okay. that. What's funny? But so she was a Gemini. <laughs> And we are both Gemini, so I have to attribute it. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I found super interesting about this, this was um, her reasoning as to why she had this part of her life was, so she had her like New York City apartment um, when she was working and all that stuff, but then she had another house um, in Martha's Vineyard, I believe. Yes. And um, they did an interview there. And she doesn't have a piano there. She doesn't sing there. And I was really taken aback by that. And she said, I'm a Gemini. And Gemini's a very split personality. And so there's my Beverly Sills life in the New York City apartment. That's where I practice. That's where I learn my music. And then when I'm here, I'm just Belle Silverman. I'm just a human being. I'm not an opera singer or anything like that. And I just do my life. And I thought that was so interesting that that's how she separates her performing life from her personal life. And I think that's something that we see a few opera singers even today do. Like, um, I think Sandra Radvanovsky talked about this in one of the Screaming Diva episodes yeah. where, um, like, she's Sandra Radvanovsky. And then she's like, Sandy. Yeah. The one that you had go to the birthday parties with and stuff. And I just thought that was so interesting. Like, do you have... Um, a way of separating your singing life from your personal life? Me? Yeah. I think I do that. I think I really do. I'm either doing it or I'm not. I do actually have a very big block, which is interesting to see that I didn't know that. So that thank you for sharing that information about Beverly because I never knew that, but it makes sense, you know. It's true. Gemini's a very split personality. <clears throat> so when I'm, you know, in this world, like, it's separate from, oh, I'm with my boyfriend, we're going fishing, or, you know, I have a family thing, or, you know, it's it's true. It's, it's very separate. Um, and I think I need that personally, because I get so distracted if there's too much happening, you know. When I'm, I just want to be present in the moment. I think that's a, I think it's a good thing, you know, to, to have because when I'm with my family, I want to be super present in that moment. And when I'm focusing on my craft, nothing can get in my way. You know, like I'm very present in the moment. So interesting. Whoa. What about you? Um... I use my name. It's so weird because, so, okay. So my, my stage name is my middle, my name with my middle initial. So Simi J or Simi J Patoka. And then outside of it, everyone just calls me Simi, right? Yeah. But um, the J adds like, okay, that's, you know, my, not a persona. I don't really put on a face as a performer versus when I'm not but it does allow a little bit of separation for me. 
But I also, I love my middle name. I was named after my grandfather, who was Jack. And so my middle name is Jacqueline, but it's spelled J-A-C-K-I-L-Y-N. So weird. My parents are very creative. Oh. Um, So, and growing up, I always felt like that name never got the recognition it deserved. Because both of my names are after grandparents. Like, Simi was my my grandmother. And so I just never felt like Jack got the recognition. So that's why for my stage name, I put the J in. Oh um, <laughs> yeah, but it just it does allow a bit of, of, of a separation. Like, okay, when Simmy J is on, I have a different mindset going t- into it. Whereas like when it's Simmy, it's like, okay, Simmy's probably like, you know, in leggings or sweats and Yeah. Chilling a little bit. Wow. No, I don't have anything with my name, which is which is interesting. I don't know that's interesting because I don't know what name I'm gonna use. Is it going to be? You might want to decide before you get to U of T. I know. I know. That's going to be interesting. Most or maybe decide before ask. yes. Pardon? Sure. <laughs> I said maybe you decide before I yap. What did you say? I said most people call me Cass. What do you call me? I call you Cass. That's what you prefer, right? Oh. I could call you Sandra. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> um, I guess that's half of my name. It is. Most, like, I have one friend who will never call me Cass, always Cassandra. Like, my first friend ever. We've been, like, best friends since, like, junior kindergarten. And she only calls me Cassandra. But most people call me Cass. Sometimes my mom will call me Cassie because there's a phase where people call me Cassie and I absolutely hated it. Wait, do you have a middle name? Yeah, guess. Hey, when you ask me to guess, is it like your basic middle name kind of thing or is it like something I would never guess? It's basic. Okay, great. So, uh, there are a few I always go for. Anne, or any variation. Mary. Joelle. Nope. What letter does it start with? E. L. Nope. Eleanor. Nope. Elizabeth. Yeah. Elizabeth. My mom's middle name is Elizabeth. My middle name is Elizabeth. My cousin's middle name is Victoria. Interesting. We're going on queen queen names here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I just I never really. I was always like, okay, my middle name's Elizabeth, but never really. Never really caught on. So, uh, like, would you go by Liz at all? Or, like, Lizzie? No. Just, like, my first name is kind of what I... I don't think you need a stage name. I don't think it's a necessary thing. I think it's just how some of us differentiate our lives. How do you pronounce my last name? Amorum. Mm, Yeah. That's how you told me to. I know. I just wanted to know. Some people, I mean, I say that's very, you know, anglicized, but that's how we say it. Some people, I used to be called down, like, to the office, like, Cassandra Amarim, please come down to the office. That just sounds gross. Oh, I know. So, a while ago, like, probably two years ago, I bought, like, three websites <laughs> and okay. like like just to keep you know like you like website urls 
Yeah. And she was like, you should keep Casamore. Like, just cut the last name. It's Amore, like, love. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I was like, oh. So I have website Cassandra Morum, Casamorum, Casamore. I have three. Casamore. That sounds like one word, and it sounds like something familiar, and I can't put my finger on it. Casserole? That's what it sounds like. No, Casamore. Casamore. Sounds like a house. House of love. Casa, Casamore. That's actually really nice. I kind of love it. <laughs> but yeah, is that interesting? But I feel like I'd want my whole last name. So after... She decided to retire in 1980. Um, she actually, like, right before that, she started, um, began acting as the co-director of the New York City Opera, which is so cool. So right when she decided to stop singing, she's going to go into a co-director position. Um, and then that year also became the, the only general director. But she came in alongside someone and then was um, just the general director herself. Which and is awesome. Pardon? The first woman. Yes. Which which is crazy. How is that even? Yeah. In 1980. Wow. <laughs> Anyways. And she held that position for nine, nine and a bit years. So she started in 79. She ended in 89, which is a decade. So that's insane that she was the general director for that long, just after finishing a very full career and helped this opera company do so many things um, for 10 years. But she also stayed on the board until 91, so a little bit later. And of course, we know that she helped it from being financially- struggling. <laughs> struggling to flourishing um and then so she took some time after that and i remember watching an interview and uh she took a couple years to just be with her family mm -hmm. um i remember in an interview she was sharing that her husband her entire career always supported everything she wanted to do um, with her, her career and um, the dreams and goals she had and said, he said Beverly Sills have had, has had all this time when is it going to be time for us and it wasn't in a rude way it wasn't in a you know demeaning way and she was just like yeah she knew it was time to to end her career and she also talked about wanting to end her career people think saying oh she could have done so much more instead of saying when is this woman gonna retire and she shares that in almost every single interview i've seen of her and she kind of just prided herself in knowing when to call it quits with it and yeah, she was uh, almost she was almost like her own impresario like yeah. she just she just knew where her career needed to go. So she took those few years off to be with her family. And in 1994, she became chairwoman of the Lincoln Center. And uh, in 2002, 
she agreed to serve um, for chairwoman of the Met Opera. So after all this time in 2002, she was, um, she finally was a chairperson for the Met Opera. Um, but she resigned in 2005 um, just to take care of her husband who had to be put in the nursing home at that time. Well, should we talk about the video? Yes. Okay, so the video I chose, um, honestly, if you look up Beverly Sills, you'll hear her sing arias like um, Olice di Questanima, sure. And it's beautiful, and I highly recommend that you look it up. But I kind of wanted to show the other side of Beverly Sills. Um, so her and Carol Burnett were really good friends, and I adore Carol Burnett. I think she is such a funny lady, and... Uh, another just really smart, smart woman, smart person who happens to be a woman. Um, and they worked together a lot. They did um, a show, um, what was it called? Something something like Comedy at the Met or, or Carol Burnett at the Met. I can't remember, but it was really funny. And so the one that I wanted to show was from Beverly Sills' Farewell Concert. And they sang like a 12 minute duet together. We're not going to watch all 12 minutes of it. But I think it would just be super duper cool to have um, something like that shown. So I'm really excited about this. I think it's so great. Okay, share sound, share video. All right. Ignore all of the tabs. <laughs> To our little table. recommend watching the whole video it's 12 minutes long but it is hysterically funny and they go back and forth they're talking about how women are always singing the blues doesn't matter if they're singing opera or jazz pop anything i think it's so funny oh my gosh that is awesome i love that <laughs> and oh man like and if if any of you don't know who carol burnett is get on that too she's not an opera singer but she is a brilliant comedian and i adore her so much she had her own um variety show 
It was hysterical. So. Oh my gosh. That is so awesome. I never, I had never seen that video. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing it. That's why I wanted to, because how else would you have come across that, right? Yeah. When you type in Beverly Sills, you're seeing her sing arias, you're seeing her sing uh, Roberto Devereux, you're saying, you know, all this stuff. But uh, remember that operas ha opera singers have personalities too? So cool. So now I'm going to share a little clip That is just, we got to listen to some of this. This is the role that she said took four years off her career. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about this. Not only, let's talk about the acting. Let's talk about sing speaking. Yes, the yell. Oh. Power. All calculated decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. So, do you have any thought? What, what were your first impressions of listening to this? Roberto, uh, well, I, I had listened to it in my in my own research prior. Yeah, but um, the opera itself had a very large impact on me the first time I watched it, and so anytime I I get to watch it again, um, I'm just like filled with a combination of like happiness and rage. Yeah, um, but it's such a powerful story, and you can see the intent behind it. Like you can see her why. Yeah. Which is the most important thing. Like 
if you have a why, that's fantastic. But if you can see it from the audience, that's even cooler, in my opinion, and more powerful. And what was what was one of your favorite things vocally that she did in this clip? I feel like there's a right answer that you're looking for here. No. <laughs> like no, I feel no. like literally what I would just I'm interested to see like what what's your what caught your eye about this? Was there anything either? Absolutely. I mean, um, one thing that caught my eye was the horrible fake slap. But besides that, <laughs> um, yeah. besides that, I, I am a sucker for high notes. So those always stick out to me. But because I have a challenge with the low stuff, that really has an impact on me. So what we were just saying, the like yell kind of thing. Yes. I was like, whoa, like she has that in her. That's crazy, yeah. especially for a character who has to be composed all the time. Yeah. That in that moment of grief is powerful. Yeah, I think the one thing that we'll notice as we continue on with this, you know, dive into these old singers is at a part that is so raw and intense and there is just emotion everywhere you can feel it and the voice goes into a cry almost at the end of a phrase tenors baritones like you can hear that this happens a lot and it's just like so packed with emotion that you can feel it you know i think that that's so impressive um and she was also doing it in a lower register. Um, usually it happens like the phrase is ending and then it's like that last, like you almost have no breath left and it's like this like cry, this, the voice goes into a different atmosphere that, you know, you normally, you only tap into that at a really, really vulnerable emotional spot. Um, ooh, I love when that happens. Like, it's so good. It's so cool. It is. Um, of course, I love the low notes. And sh that she let it go down because it's just so emotion-packed also going into that register. Um, but her acting. I just, like, I could see, you know, what's in her eyes. Like, what she's seeing herself. The pain, the the shock like you know you go on this whole journey in that small tiny clip um so it's so cool to watch that Woo. you can't be an opera singer without being an actor yep i just gotta say that you know there's just no way to tell that story without feeling it yeah it's yes it has to come from the sound that you're creating yeah but it's not the same if you don't feel it too yeah very true very true. Just the thought. So why don't we talk about some notable quotes? I'm so excited about the notable quotables. I know, and also I don't have my sign here, but there's a quote that's been on my wall this entire year since I moved into the house um, near my school through the pandemic online school um, by Beverly Sills, and it says, do you have it written down or no? 
No, it's not one of the ones I have. <laughs> oh, you don't have that one. Okay, but I will share it. There's no shortcuts to any place worth going. There are no shortcuts to any place worth going. Period. It's the truth. It's a good one. Um, I have five. Okay, share them. I love it. Like, like we said, we listened to a lot of interviews. Uh, and these weren't things that people had written down that she said, but that stuck with me. So yeah. one thing that this one has nothing to do with singing, but I just thought it was so interesting so at some point one of her daughters was um like she wasn't she was seeing that her daughter was a, acting a little bit self-centered in some ways and so she told her daughter to wake up and go 24 hours without saying the words i me or my and see how long you can go and i started thinking about it and how frequently i use those words mm-hmm and it's so interesting. So I think this is something humanity should start thinking about because we do live in a very self-centered world. Yeah. Not that that's a bad thing. I think we all need to take care of ourselves. But at the same time, think about others and put forth that empathy. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. You can cut that out. It has nothing to do with singing, but I just thought it was really No, cool. no, that's amazing. Um, This one had a lot to do with um, like stage fright and and performance anxiety. Oh my gosh. If, if there was someone out there who could do it better than you, they would be doing it. Which is cool, in my opinion. I don't know. What do you think of that one? Oh, I love it. I love it. I need to keep... I want to like create like a wall of all the quotes that we will find through these episodes. That could be really cool. That would be so cool. Okay, sorry. Um, I don't know if you have this one, but this is one of my favorites, and it, I maybe it's like her in her own words, but I think about this often. You may be disappointed if you fail, but you are doomed if you don't try. I saw that one. I didn't have it written down, but I do like that one. Yeah, I like that one. One of mine that kind of goes off of that one is a bit of a piggyback is, um, and she used this with her kids as well, have a dream and never for a minute think it's an impossible one. Because mm -hmm. that's when limitation starts, right? Oh, yeah. That one was cool. And another one that I just thought it was so funny um, was don't share credit, blame, or desserts. Yes, I heard her say that that one was good and it's it's true i mean take credit share credit when the credit is to be shared yeah but if you put forth effort and energy into a performance take the credit for that performance if you kind of shit a performance take credit for that yeah take the blame. yeah that was on you and now you're gonna learn from it and then the desserts thing i mean <laughs> I know it's so that's a good one the last one I had was um she said this when she was talking about um her time as a general director uh I bring a lot to the table if you can't deal with that don't bring me to your table yes 
And I loved that, especially because she was a woman in a position of power in these opera companies that is primarily men, white yep. men. And I, that one, I was like, yes! <laughs> Another one, which, you know, she always talks about being a very positive person and having a positive outlook and just, you know, going about life with a smile and... She says, I really do believe I can accomplish a great deal with a big grin. I know some people find that disconcerting, but that doesn't matter. Period. It doesn't matter. I love that. I love that one too. There's so much more we could dive into about Beverly Sills, but this is kind of just like dipping your toes in the world of finding finding things that can inspire you in these people's lives. Um, and as singers and artists, knowing how people got there, you know, you don't have to get there the same way, but you can choose to see, you know, different possibilities that you probably didn't think were there. Um, like the classic, go to undergrad for four years, do your master for two years, you know, maybe there's a different way and, and whatever way you choose to do, like, that's awesome because it's your own path. But let's find inspiration in other people's journeys as well. Well said. See you next time. Bye. Click. Hey, Len, are you still counting? Yes, I am. Countess Marisa, Sonia, Hannah, Neda, Ginevra, Cleopatra, Samele, Samele? I don't know how to say that one. The handle? I don't, I don't do handles that much. <laughs>